Good morning, and welcome back to Dance Dorothy Dance, the Dorothy Arzner podcast exclusive to the Patreon. My name is B. Peterson, I'm your host, and with me as always is... Mark Edward Hoyke. Oh, I am so very, very tired. <laughs> this I hope is... we were not overdoing it last night. <laughs> no, I mean, this is months old news at this point, by the time this podcast comes out, but... Last night, I spent uh, with Bibbs and Whitney recording podcasts over at, uh, at Bibbs' place, and oh my word, I do not envy their schedule, because basically what they just get to whatever they can after 11 p.m., and yeah, so we didn't start recording until after midnight, um, and I literally got to watch my co-host fall asleep live on mic. Um, anyway, and it, I yeah, so it was... Up until three, essentially, uh, doing stuff, and then gotta wake up, and I got, we got more podcasts to do for Dorothy Eisner, and so, like, I, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna make it through it, but... Do it for Dorothy. Do it for Dorothy, alright. Um, yeah, and, yeah, and we gotta do it for this one, because this is, this is her, this is, I don't know, it's the one... It's it's Working Girls is the night is, is the, the one that we're talking about. Nineteen thirty one, uh, starring Judith Wood and Dorothy Hall. This is the film that was the beginning of the end for her at Paramount. It was her first financial disaster. Um, it never even re- got a large general release, um, and it's why. And I'm assuming that's why this is. I think the hardest one of Arzner's films to track down. Um, there were. There are only archival prints of this film. Um, there were never uh, commercial prints for for it. Yes, uh, well, I, I do recall that uh, the Bev, the new Beverly, was able to get a thirty-five print right. of this back in uh, twenty nineteen, but and uh, it did surface on Criterion, Criterion Channel, Channel for, for a couple while. months. Yeah, along with Merrily, we go to hell. Which we're going to be reviewing uh, after this because that's the one, it's the brand new Criterion release. And the fact that Criterion put out Merrily We Go to Hell on their channel for a couple months and then it ended up on the, cha- on the in the collection gives me, so, gives me so much anticipation because I really want to see Working Girls um, uh, uh, come to the Criterion collection. Um, it, funny enough, Working Girls is coming to the Criterion collection, but it's Lizzie Borden's Working Girls. It, it is an uncanny thing that. Three terrific female directors all have a movie called, called Working, Working Girls. Girls because have, there's Arzner, there's have, Borden, and we have Stephanie Rothman. Okay, and so what's what's the Steph? I, I haven't heard of the Steph- Stephanie the Rothman. Stephanie one. Rothman one is uh, technically called The Working Girls. And okay, it's a bit more. Of They'll a, go. They're they're all right next to each other in the alphabetized uh, system. Yes, and as a matter of fact, in the AFI notes. On Arzner's Working Girls, they mistakenly put in a reference to Rothman's Working Girls. Seriously? Yes. <laughs> okay. So somebody, somebody else was asleep at their job uh, when yeah. they did that. Um, uh, Rothman's Working Girls is uh, kind of the extension of the uh, three, you know, three girls on adventures uh, formula that she had started when she was at New World and carried on in her three movies for dimension pictures okay all right and then yeah and i haven't seen borden's working girls but um i've seen borden's borden flames i saw that for our first episode of all about ovid um with whitney and oh my word i love that film so so i i'm i'm i i 
I'm looking forward to seeing uh, Borden's Working Girls, but right now I'm perfectly happy with having seen Arzner's Working Girls because what a delight is this movie. Yes. Um. So, yeah, it's Judith Wood, Dorothy Hall. They play sisters. and at From Indiana. Right, and at the opening of the film, they've shown up at a... At a, it's called the Rolf House, um, and it's this apartment complex essentially for single working girls. And um, they're sisters. They show up. They're in identical clothing, um, and they're basically just like, "Yep, we're here to work." Um, and yeah, I hope to get a job. It's gonna be fun. Uh, the 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 woman running the house is quite stern. Um, is like you have to check. It's very strict in with the check ins and checkouts and. Um, closing the windows so that you can't hear the raucous, dangerous music, immoral music coming from across the way. and um, But yeah, it, we are plunged immediately into yet another uh, thriving female environment uh, at, the, at, the, at the opening of this film. Yes, and uh, there is a thriving female environment around uh, the story itself. The, the adaptation is by Zoe Akins. Right. And it's based on a play by the team of uh, Vera Kaspari and Winifred Lenahan. Mm-hmm. Uh, Winifred Lenahan started out as an actress. Uh, she, although uh, mostly confined to the stage, she's only got one film credit, and that's uh, Jigsaw in 1949. However, uh, she was uh, the original uh, star of uh, George Bernard Shaw's St. Joan. Okay. On Broadway. Oh, all right. And later became a theater director herself. Uh, Vera Kaspari, meanwhile, was an author, and she had written a... Their play was called Blind Mice, and that itself was based on a book that Vera wrote called Music in the Street. And Vera's big credit later on would be writing the book Laura, which was adapted into a film by Otto Preminger. Okay. She uh, wrote and adapted a lot of works uh, over the course of her career, uh, and uh, she did uh, late. She wrote Les Girls for George Cukor. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, Otto Preminger. He. Let's see here. I know him for two things. I know that he directed Anatomy of a Murder. And I know that he was in Batman. Sixty-six. The freezes, right? Um, just, just right there. The one-two bunch of that is like, there's your. That's the. That's about as good as a career can get. Anyway, um, yeah. Um, yes, this is very clearly written by women because I. This is again. We are looking at a stunning piece of feminist text. Mm-hmm. Um, and and while I wouldn't say that there is a ton of queer coding in this film it's um but but it is i would say what i'd say is that the queer coding is front-loaded because we literally in the first few minutes of this movie get a woman eyeing another woman just be like hey and there she's like ooh, she's looking at me and it's just like oh my word and then they end up dancing um uh, when they when someone finally opens the window is like they she doesn't like to let us listen to it because it's bad for our morals but then they let's dance anyway and so they go off and they dance with each other and yeah it's just it's a it's a gay setting, um, and in every sense of the word. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's and then we're right off to work. Um, their their first preoccupation is not men, though there is scatterings of oh, are you going out to men? There's one interaction at the beginning of the film that I was curious because of the perhaps double meaning of it. Um, 
a young woman um, who's got a higher pitched voice. I don't remember all the names of, of the various women who work in the house because there's a lot of them to keep track of. But um, a younger woman, she signs out because every weekend she goes out to be with her aunt. Um, and he's like, oh, well, you're not even going out to see a man. It's like, well, you've never met a man like my aunt. <laughs> um, and so initially, like eventually it's like, oh, wait, she's just going out and spending the night with a man. The spending the weekend with a man, but I also my first inclination was like, oh, is her aunt gay? Uh, <laughs> because you know, there's also that possible interpretation of it. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, the June June and May, um, their preoccupation is not with men at the outset. They're out there to, they're out there to get work, and that's ultimately what this film is about. Is about them, you know, seeking independence um, in their various ways. Um, May uh, initially, uh, June goes out for this typist job for a for a, a professor scientist, Doctor Von Schrader, played by Paul Lucas, who we saw um, a couple episodes ago in um, Anybody's Woman. Woman, right, where he played uh, uh, Saxon. Yes. Uh, also, uh, he he was in uh, the Lost Arsner film Manhattan Cocktail. Okay. And he uh, did uh, the the. 20s version of uh, Wolf of Wall Street, which was uh, scripted by Doris Anderson. Okay, cool. Um, oh wow, Doris Anderson. So we might we might be getting to that maybe someday if yes. we ever do Friends of Dorothy with her, mm-hmm. because that's that's someone I'm I'm interested in um, after seeing the the films that she did with Arsner. Um So yeah, she 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 goes out to to interview for, with for for this doctor, but it turns out she just doesn't have the education to cut it. Um, he's like, oh, I he said because in the thing it says college, uh, uh girls uh preferred, or I don't know if it's college or college age, but college college girls preferred, and she's like. Well, technically, I'm college age, but even though I never went to college and I didn't quite get to high school, but you know, uh, you'd like my sister, and so May ends up working for the doctor, and she and so June uh, uh, goes out for modeling, but uh, when she's told that you're simply not stylish enough, what she does, she buys, she basically fakes it till she makes it. Um, yeah, she just you know ditches her entire wardrobe and mm-hmm. gets a whole new one, which kind of uh, anticipates uh, the bride wore red you know the idea of you know clothes make the station right and and it also shows a a beginning of shift be- away from each other in terms of the two women's uh, uh identities over the course of this yes. film it's the it's the course to see june become more masculine more arsner mm-hmm. um <laughs> And and she ends up working at a telegraph office in just the smoothest way. Um, she basically just ducks under under the thing to go behind the desk, and she's like, "Oh, are you? Uh, uh, what are you here?" It's like they told me to come up here for the job. It's like, "Oh, are you transferred from uh, an, another office?" It's like, "Uh, words are way around it." Um, she's like, "Well, um, do you know do you know how to do this?" She's like, "Oh, I've sent a telegram before," which you know she's being perfectly honest but the woman takes it as a joke and anyway she slides right into the job and is immediately uh sending off a telegram for one charles buddy rogers is back um as boyd wheeler and for a few minutes i was like i know that that's buddy rogers but something seems off about him and then i realized i'm hearing him talk yes uh but we've we saw him obviously and get your man Uh, and we also saw him in paramount on parade right um which he actually did speak in but uh, but like my he's it's he's in 
Paramount on Parade for such a brief moment, um, just one song number. And, um, and I, you know, I know him from Get Your Man and Wings. And so to find, just hearing him talk at length, like have dialogue, and I'm just like, oh, that's right, you have a voice. Weird. <laughs> anyway, but it turns out, now this is the thing we have, again, like I said, this is the hardest film to track down. And so the copy that we have is a VHS rip from somewhere in the 80s from an archive print. And it's not that great. And so the this is, there are several letters over the course of this film that we see like presented on screen. And they're, they're pretty hard to read because my word, I, this is also me not not i i stopped learning curriculum or, or cursive through halfway through the gr- third grade halfway through the year it just stopped being curriculum came back from winter break and we just i knew half the alphabet um and so i'm i i'm i'm at the tail end of the last generation to learn cursive in school i'm pretty sure um so anyway so i had difficulty reading the letter but um ultimately what i got gathered from reading up on the film is that basically he's he's uh, uh recently single um and a Jew notices this. She has a bag well, of well. Well, he doesn't show up at the telegraph office. He he shows up. He shows up later. Buddy Rogers. Yeah. No, he's the first person that the June sees. That's that's Buddy Rogers. Is no? Isn't he, that her saxophone player? That's after Buddy Rogers. She sees Buddy Rogers and then she goes to the saxophone player. You're right. Okay. Yeah, that is Buddy Rogers. Um, and she sees that he's on the outs with with his with his girlfriend. She's like, mm, I don't want a rebound guy, and goes on to the next guy. And the next guy that we see is uh, Stuart Irwin pl- pl- playing Pat Kelly. Pat Kelly is a trombone player, though as we later see, it's a saxophone. Um, so I guess language was different, uh, or maybe it was a flub take and they just ran with it. Right. Um. But yeah. So. Pat Kelly, and he is mighty keen on taking her out to dinner. And June is mighty keen on taking advantage of this situation. Yeah, and all, and also uh, he's he's up front with the fact that he's got a he he never made it above the fifth grade. Right. That he that he's not he's not a particularly smart individual, but he lucked out to get a job that pays him handsomely. Right. I think he says that he's like playing for like Chet Baker. Um, but he's he's playing the trombone for for some for some big musician. He's getting paid ninety a week, which is a mind boggling amount of money mm-hmm. in nineteen thirty one. Um, but yeah, it's like I that I mean I'll take ninety a week now, yeah. <laughs> pretty much, uh, way more than I'm getting all as, as is. Um, but uh, but anyway, and yeah, so June. June takes advantage of the situation. We get this lovely little montage of hers, like, "Oh yes, um, we're, we'll get to dinner, but first, um, let me. I want to get uh, this and uh, the chocolates. Oh, and the candy. But oh, but I all really want an orchid. And oh, orchid. But really, the orchid's gonna die, so I need the perfume. And he's just shelling out money because he wants to impress her. Yeah, and uh, that the the orchid is kind of a nice uh, callback to charming sinners because there's a bookend. Uh, of at the beginning of at the beginning of charming sinners uh the the adulterous uh couple oh right yeah you know an orchid, orchid from her, her shoulder right her dress and then at the very end ruth chatterton has one for her dress right as well. because yeah because uh, uh uh i i can't make um Anne marie in in that film she has this bouquet of orchids and she puts one in the lapel of of uh, Ruth Chatterton's husband, and she notices. Um, so yeah, uh, but anyway, so she gets 
she gets an orchid and we basically wrap up at the end of the day with um may has um she actually also ran into buddy rogers um at a shoe store with yes. one of the other girls and he ended up taking her out to dinner and so when we the day the day we are at close of day they both get in right under the clock at at uh, under midnight and the elevators closed at 11 p.m. so they have to walk up four flights of stairs um and may and june have a back and forth about what they got out of the day and may is like oh my word you're just you're just uh, uh going off with whoever and getting all of these trinkets and june is like well hold on a second you got a dinner out of this date look at all of what i got <laughs> i'm being way more practical here um you're just what what is what is yeah, you got a meal i got merch yeah exactly um and and it signals the shift away from f- f- these sisters away from each other in terms of being literally identical at the beginning of the movie to them becoming their own people with their own values and and what i love about this film is ultimately they still support each other in in these things despite um them growing uh, uh, slightly apart over the course of the film um things continue apace essentially um June is now going out with Pat Kelly on the regular and and May has fallen deeply in love with with Buddy Rogers and I mean who can blame you it's mm-hmm. Buddy Rogers yeah they're the they they call each other Big Frog and Little Frog which is a little odd <laughs> well they're it, it's a little hard to make out the conversation but on their first night out she was talking about the fact of how he's such a he's such a big frog in a little pond and she mm-hmm. was such a little frog in a big pond. Yeah. Anyway, but it just like little frog, a big, big frog is, is a, is an interesting pet name. Um, but anyway, and as over the course of the next act, if you will, um, the next se- sequences, we basically see June turn into a more, uh, butch persona, a more masculine persona. Who's just, you know, doing this out of, her own convenience going out with Pat Kelly and May is falling deeply in love with Buddy Rogers and is becoming distinctly more feminine. And this all climaxes um, when June and May are supposed to meet up with Buddy and his Buddy's Buddy um, at at his house, but through shenanigans, just Buddy and uh, May end up there alone together in this apartment. They're well, let me rephrase. They're not totally alone. There is also a cook, and this is another thing with Zoe Akins, is that she consistently puts people of color in, in her... She writes them into the movies. They're not always the best portrayals. Um, here, it's not the worst we've seen, um, but, again, there's, there's, there's stereotypes. There's, there's a black doorman, and there's a... An Asian American, I'm it, assuming. It's, I mean, it's it, it hard could, to make out. Yeah, he could be a Asian American or he could be Hispanic. Because at one point he he says vamoose. Yeah, so. um, as who's the chef? Um, yeah, and then later in the film, we're gonna there are several a couple scenes will take place at a Chinese restaurant, and so there will. I mean, if you've seen. I don't know. My reference point is like if you've seen Hail Caesar, it's just basically that place mm-hmm. um, that they go to. Um, yeah, and it ends up with uh, Buddy Rogers and May spending the night together, and they're gonna do it. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, um, and yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm. This, this film is very. This film is a breeze. It really is. It just kind of flows right by. It's very straightforward. There aren't a lot of twists and turns. Yes. And um, when, when, however, it is important to point out that at a certain point, Doctor Doctor Von Trader um, is reveals his love to um, reveals his love to May who is her employee and when she says that oh yeah i'm sorry i'm with another guy he fires her on the spot um and because it would be too dis uncomfortable for him essentially to view this woman that he loves um every day and not be able to do anything about it it's i think an interesting parallel to what we saw at honor among lovers yes um and i think that Von Trader handles it way better than uh, Frederick March did in Honor yes. Among Lovers in that he is polite and uh, uh, doesn't make unwanted advances. He is simply honest and and uh, respectful. And I was like, thank goodness. And so when he en- ultimately ends up with someone at the end of the movie, I didn't have it like, oh, but y- you remember when right. you were sexually harassing someone? Um, so, yeah, there's... A pleasant, uh, basically a do-over of that scene um, uh, that that ultimately works better. Um, so yeah, and now May's out of a job, and she's spent the night with Buddy Rogers. And this is something that I missed. Um, it's this has now happened twice now with Christopher Strong and this movie. I missed May. May got pregnant. Yeah. Um, but as this is happening, it turns out. That Buddy Rogers is getting set up with a woman of his station this whole time, and now they're engaged. Yeah, yeah. That you know, he they're they're supposed to meet after he's gone on a trip out of town. He mm. sends a telegram saying, you know, don't bother showing up. I'll call you later. She's worried about what's going down. They There's a him. rumor that maybe he got arrested because of a guy named Keeler. Instead <laughs> Keeler. Uh, but yeah, and it turns out he's engaged. Yeah. Which a big louse. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Buddy Rogers. He's. Uh, he's. Like I would say that. Like he's nowhere near Frederick March in Honor Among Lovers in terms of like. Oh, I really don't want you to end up with anyone by the end of this movie. But still. Um. Come on, buddy. You you couldn't at least send a breakup text. Like you just had to say, ghoster. Um. <laughs> And yeah, and there's a delightful sequence where they're basically trying to figure out, get to the bottom of this, and they're they're calling on the phones, and the and, which is a complicated thing because at this hotel, it's not like everybody has a phone in their room. Like, no, you don't even have like a payphone in the hallway. You have to go down to the lobby to the switchboard and right. get somebody to place the call for you. Right. Uh, which yeah, another thing. And you're not supposed to do that after 11 p.m. Nope, it's strict rules. And yeah, the the door. I don't know the night watchman character. Whatever. I can't remember her name, and I can't remember the actress. Please forgive me. But she's she's great. Um, I think she's the one that's making the goo goo eyes at the beginning of the film. Um, at um at at June and May. But anyway. Um, so yeah, she finds out that that he's engaged, and she is distraught and in her desperation goes back to Von Schrader and says, hey, we need to get married. Um, I'm taking you up on our offer. However, we had already had a scene with um, June going back to Von Schrader 
And I don't totally remember the context of well, it. Well, June first goes to Von Schrader and said, hey, please hire my sister back. back. Yo, she's been floundering ever since she left. She can't get another job. Mm-hmm. Yo. Yeah, and it is during this scene that they actually have this nice conversation, June and Von Schrader, um, about, like, the books and how smart he must be. And yeah, reading so many books makes you must, must make you so smart. Yeah, um, and and we see in a in a little scene is where he has this this picture of the, a drawing of of May, and we see him because they go out to this Chinese restaurant and they have. They have a conversation, and he draws June, and we see them in the in the later scene. Him take out the picture of May, put in the picture of June, and then tear the picture of May up. He's in love with June now, but May comes back to work for for him, and then says, "We need to get married." And he's like, "All right, I guess." <laughs> um, and then we get this lovely little uh wedding or like not bachelor bachelorette party it's effectively a bachelorette party um where yeah they're having a great time but then wouldn't you know it buddy comes back (laughs) yeah yeah he his engagement fell apart because uh there there, there's no pleasing these society dames yeah um that he's going he goes off on this extended rant about you know the you know why? You know why working girls are better than society girls, mm-hmm. you know, which is again something we've seen in a lot of other. But we saw that in anybody's woman is the yeah. whole thing is like, uh, at least, at least the working <laughs> girls, um, regardless of what they're pre- like, regardless of what the connotation of working girls means, um, uh, uh, is like at least they're gonna be honest with you. And these high society people, they're just they're gonna do whatever out of convenience, not out of love. <laughs> Um, and yeah, and she, he managed to b- essentially break his way into, into the Rolf house and has a conversation with May and May's going to go back to him and shenanigans, shenanigans, shenanigans. Uh, do you have your gun? We're going to a wedding. Um, <laughs> oh, yes. uh, maybe good. the best line I think that we've had in this entire podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but, uh, well, we, we were having a conversation the other day about filmmakers we loved, and one of my favorites is uh, the French director Jean-Pierre Melville. Melville. And he there's a quote attributed to him that says, uh, What is friendship? It's being able to call somebody at 3 in the morning and say, Be a pal, get your gun, and come right over. And the voice on the other end says, I'll be right there. Yeah. So uh, so June uh, go, goes back to Pat, and I gotta say that you know, of all of the main men in this movie, Pat is kind of the most gentlemanly because, you know, mm-hmm. he's not, he's not asking for anything. He's not, you know, he's not, he, you know, that he, that, and he's also the one with the least amount of education. So. Right. I mean, you could say that he's the nice guy um, who will maybe end up finishing last <laughs> in yeah, this movie. I, yeah, I mean, he's, well, he, his name is Pat, and he's a bit of a patsy, but... Uh, yeah, okay, cute. And, um, and well, and uh, it, it should be pointed out that uh, one of uh, the other big roles that Stuart Irwin played was uh, the... Uh, the comic strip boxer Joe Palooka, okay. which was a movie that was partially scripted by Gertrude Purcell, who who popped up in uh, one of our earlier episodes. As oh well. yes, yeah, she she wrote. What did she write? She wrote something. Anyway, but but yeah, so uh, his his stock and trade is playing you know 
you know, lovable lunkheads. Okay, yeah. And, and he does it quite well. He's, he's uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe like the, the, the role that's least calling attention to itself. He's just kind of off to the side, the most just a serviceable, a serviceable character who's got some plot functions and that it, he's essentially there to be used, yes, and, you know, but he if, does it well. Yeah. If June is, you know, the masculine woman, he's kind of not quite the feminized guy, but he's like, Oh, sure. Oh, sure, baby. Yeah. Anything you want. You know, yeah. He's, um, he's just there to please He's what the critics of Arsner at the time would call a weak man. Yeah. Um, but like, yeah, it's like this, the criticisms of, of Sarah and Son and anybody's woman. Because the men in there are weak. Um, but, yeah. Um, and but, yeah, June goes, goes to him and says, says, Hey, you got a gun? <laughs> yeah, cause, because out of... It's... I, it, I'm not... It's... It's a, it's not a slapstick, but it's it's hijinks. We're 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 we are in comedy territory here at this point. Uh, a light, light farce. Um, where May's gonna go out to be with Buddy Rogers. Buddy Rogers is at his friend's house, and um, and for some reason there's an implication that maybe he won't get married to her because of this society gap. Um, but, um, so, but June's intent and like, you know what, May really wants this kid and even though I think he's a little bit of, of a flake, I'm gonna make sure that she can get this because she wants this. And so she goes, she goes to Pat and he's like, do you have your gun? We're going to a wedding, which is just so great. Um, and yes, she goes, drags, drags May, um, to, to Buddy buddy's buddy's place um and we finally get to see this buddy who's been absent from the film i thought he was going to be much in the way that um uh uh dunlap's wife's husband is like never seen and that's kind of like the point that i thought the buddy's buddy was never going to show up but no we get to see the buddy's buddy and he's hilarious um he's just he's like leave me out of all of this i am just i'm just here eating my taco um and with that's an inside joke in my family anyway um but they all show up uh june's got a gun um and (laughs) says like you're gonna marry this woman and buddy's like yeah all right (laughs) i mean i'm in love with her this is i'm 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 not fighting you here well well initially it's just like yeah, I love her, but I'm not going to do it at gunpoint. And, right. You know, I'm not, you know, that, I'm not going to give in to this broad. <laughs> yeah. He's 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 made he's still got an issue with his pride. Yeah. Um and June just, you know, dispatches with that. Um and so yeah, they go off and get married and uh and the final scene of the film is June going to Von Schrader, who, you know, May was just supposed to marry. Um and um says it's basically sorry Broke well, off your engagement. Well, they run into him because after they've gotten, they're right. They're at the Chinese restaurant up, again. Yeah, uh, she go. She and uh, Pat go to the Chinese restaurant and they run into Von Schrader. And yeah, and she's like, "I've got some bad news for you." It's like, "Oh yeah, is it about is it about May?" And she's like, "Yes." And he basically, I figured this out. I saw it in the papers that he had broken off the engagement, and I figured he might be coming back for. Her. It's no big deal because you know what? I kind of like you. And June is like, 
Well, alrighty then. I think I can take advantage of this opportunity once again. Moves over to the other side of the booth. And is like, and oh, please, uh, I like to be petted. This is key because in the earlier last scene where she, the, the, do you have your God to be God? I think, don't pet me. I don't like to be petted. And just as this, Pat comes back and is like, well, but I thought you said you didn't like to be petted. Credits. <laughs> um, yeah, this is a, this is a delightful film about female agency and women getting what they want, uh, regardless of if they're feminine or masculine. And this is about women in the workplace uh, making sure they, they maintain their independence. Uh, this is a delightful light film. Um, and yeah, it's this this was the financial disaster. And I just it breaks my heart because this is some of the most most fun I've had with any of Arzner's work. Yeah, and it, yeah, it's it goes back to uh, the source material. The uh, according to the IMDb, the original play Blind Mice uh, only ran for fourteen performances. Oh wow! And but interestingly, it's uh, there's no men in the play. It's all it's an all female cast, and it's staged entirely within uh, one room of the Wolf House. Oh wow! I'm I'm interested in seeing that. I'm. I would interested to see the yeah the film adaptation of that script. Um. Uh. Yeah. That's that sounds that sounds neat. Um. So, but yeah, this has been a story that hasn't had a whole lot of luck on either stage or screen. Yeah. Which I mean, it's just a shame because yeah, even with the addition of men, the men are all lovely in this movie. I mean, Buddy Rogers is a little bit of a cad, but ultimately yeah just this is a delightful light film um there is it's there's again like there's not a ton of queer subtext but it is just it's just a feminist text um and and according as far as we know i, th I believe this is arzner's uh favorite of her own films like this is the one that she had the best time with um and i can see why judith wood is a delight um dorothy hall apparently this was her last film and yeah, what she, a shame because well, she went on to become a playwright well yeah but like she as an actor she is she is great in here there is a scene where she's at the bachelorette party essentially and she's just been with just confessed her love again for for buddy rogers and boyd wheeler and she goes back up and they're singing a song and so she's singing the song and she goes from laughing to crying in this beautiful moment well i mean look because of the the age I grew up in, I'm watching that moment, and all I can think of is, uh, you know, poor Jesse from Saved by the Bell. I'm so excited. I'm so scared. Yeah, uh, but yeah, she's 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 lovely in this film, and yeah, everyone's great. Um, this is, I mean, I'm I'm I I'm not gonna call it like this is the revelation of a lifetime this is a unseen masterpiece but it is just a really really great time at the movies um and, and i'm again so glad that i saw it mm -hmm. yeah uh it, you know one, one of these days if i've got the if i've got the scratch i i want to do like a triple feature of all three of the working girls movies in one night because in a sense they're all about you know go and get yours yeah yeah it's i mean it's what they say the, the, the 10 modern commandments which in the film 10 modern commandments the dorothy arsner film all 10 of the commandments were get your man um which then arsner made a film get your man and then we have working girls which is about women getting their man not because they out of any sense of duty to them but just because that's what they want 
I want you, so I'm going to take you. And just what a what a lovely film. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, that's pretty much all I got for this one. Um, it's it's straightforward. It's delightful. Yeah. Um. So so I guess I guess I guess that'll do it for this one. Unless you got anything else to say. Oh uh, well. Uh, you know, we, we we're talking about these two leads, and like this is the. It's interesting in that we've seen so many people who kept working with Dorothy in one capacity or another. Or at least if they didn't uh, uh, continue working, if it was just a one-off, it was still like a really big star, like a Hepburn or, um, or a Rosalind Russell or like Marino Hare, like these people who were eventually rocketed to star stardom. And here we have two relatively unknown uh, uh, lead actresses. This is there is that Judith Wood and Dorothy Hall aren't huge stars. Yeah. And you know, they, and, watching this well they should have been yeah judith wood is in particular just absolutely so confident and full of herself or or sure of herself not full of herself though maybe a little bit of that too but not unwarranted um yeah judith wood is delightful and yeah and so i just yeah again i had delightful time so um all right i i think that'll do it for for this episode of dance dorothy dance um yeah we're just gonna keep on trucking this is uh peek behind the curtain this is our last day of recording these podcasts and so i'm just we're kind we're on the home stretch here and so oh boy (sighs) all right uh mark where could people find you uh you can find me on twitter at uh t-h-e underscore h-o-y-k the hoik a phonetic pronunciation of my last name uh, you can find uh, my uh, writings and the other ephemera at my blog, which the URL is uh, projectorhasbeendrinking.blogspot.com. And since we've been talking about Chinese restaurants today, it's uh, an opportunity for me to talk about one of my favorite credits that doesn't get enough love. I was one of the talking heads that contributed to a uh, very illuminating and funny documentary called The Killing of a Chinese Cookie, which is the history of the fortune cookie in That's America. That's a great title. That's a great title. Yes, and I, also my favorite Cassavetes film. Yeah, so um, uh, I provide uh, some uh, history of uh, how fortune cookies have been portrayed in the popular media. All right. So, okay, tell me something a little about fortune cookies because this is I don't know if this is like an old wives this is just like something that people say and it's and it's incredibly apocryphal. Is it true that there are only like four people who actually write the fortune cookies? Uh, I don't think that is delved into in the doco. Okay. Uh, but I I believe uh, that is a myth. Okay. All right. Because like I mean, it's one of those things that sounds cool. Um uh, but Anyway, all right. As for me, Twitter, Letterboxd, at Blue Red Closet. You can find us on Twitter at Screens Margins. Thank you for being here because we know that there's a pull these days when it comes to films to focus only on the big and the mainstream stuff. So thanks for spending time with us today on The Margins. Good night. Ah.